Welcome along to another Know My Faith Monday podcast. My guest this week is Marshall Bieber. No relation, Marshall, because it's spelt differently, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> slightly, slightly different spelling. <laughs> Marshall Bieber from messianicliterary.com. There's a hyphen in the middle of that. Now, if, if I've got it correct, you started off writing poetry and correct. all of a sudden you're an expert on what went wrong with the Messianic movement. How did that happen? Uh, it's, it's actually... I started off in 1997, so it's been a while, but been yep. 23 years. So it started off as a uh, kind of a, a, a poetry uh, blog for uh, n- numerous poets. And um, uh, then uh, it, it, I came to a realization that I, I could do more with it. And um, so um, uh, I've got, uh, this is my third version of software. So I went out at that time and got the newest software to install and and, yep. uh, and got a number of poets. And, um, and uh, at that time, I thought that um, I could do more. So I, uh, but, but the name of the um, website was Messianic Poetry Corner. Yep. So I changed the name to the Messianic Literary Corner so I could have a little more latitude. Uh, and basically um, uh, uh, got into some basic uh, prophetic studies, uh, uh, grace-oriented studies, uh, as well as um, some um, biblical archaeological um, uh, tidbits okay. and, science and, and, and notes on science. And by the way, I, I have a, a bachelor's in biology, so I spent most of my career uh, in biomedical and biopharmaceutical research and sales. Okay, so, I expect uh, to see your name coming up on the uh, biblical genetics page then on Facebook. Um, not, not quite, but I'm retired hey, now. So. All right. Hey, but, you've, but, got a, but, you've got a poem you wrote around about that time, which um, called High Wire Act. And that's which yes. struck me as being, I don't know if you've got it handy at all, but or if you remember yes. it. Um, yes, I do. It strikes me as very pertinent because it's difficult. I mean, you're in America. Um, for a lot of Jews in Israel, even more difficult to be a Messianic Jew in the land. Yes. Do, do you want to uh, like read that for us, that poem? Sure. Uh, I'll just pop this up. I don't think you'll you'll see it, but um, uh, let me just go down. It'll uh, be there somewhere. I wrote this uh, a number of years ago. It's um, it starts off. It's a high wire act for any Jew to profess one's belief in Messiah. For once doing so, there's contention to brew with no end until life breaths expires. So why take upon such a burdensome weight and why be despised by so many? Just return to the life that is blind to the truth and be welcomed by comfort aplenty. But I will resist all the comfort and rest and I will keep guard and stay steady. For his comfort surrounds me and mercy astounds me. So by him, my endurance is steady. Did you find for yourself that w- there was a backlash from your family, from those that knew you? Yes, there, there's uh, over the years, there was a bit of rejection. Some relatives are still close to me uh, and some relatives aren't. Um, s- some of my old uh, Jewish friends, I, I was raised in San Antonio, Texas, as a conservative Jew, some of my old friends who who know me that that went to my synagogue um, 
still accept me as a friend. Some don't. Yeah. So it, it, it varies. So, um, so when you say conservative Jew, does that mean Orthodox, um, God-fearing, Tanakh-believing, Torah-observing? Not, not quite. I think conservatives are somewhere in, in right in between um, the Reformed, which um, doesn't observe Torah, uh, observes, or observes the holidays. The conservative is somewhere in between Orthodox and Reformed. So I think my, my parents chose that. Um, just their lifestyle had changed. Um, my mom was from Brooklyn, New York. And my dad was from Poland. So moving to Texas, it, it was a little, um, uh, I think, more convenient for them. So to work that, would be, uh, that would be kind of like uh, the average pew-sitting Christian then. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. So what <laughs> happened? Well, now, uh, I... Um, uh, uh, I was in college. I dropped out. I was a, a biology major at the University of Houston, and um, I, I just got disgusted with it all and said, I'm going to join the Navy, and <laughs> I, I became a hospital corpsman, and uh, I was stationed in San Diego, and I brought my Tanakh. Now, now Tanakh is basically the Old Testament writings um, in English, the, the Jewish Publication Society. I read it while I was in boot camp, and, um, and I stumbled across Isaiah and read it through, and it just dawned on me after reading Isaiah 53 that it has, it has to be Jesus. Couldn't be anyone else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, so I, I, I kind of I took a gamble in my life. I figured I've got nothing to lose. I'm in the Navy. No one knows me. Um, so I started to pray to Yeshua or Jesus and, uh, and ask for proof. And um, uh, I won't go through all the details. I could take an hour. Uh, through all the things, but uh, but basically, uh, after uh, five or six months, I I had a um, I was fairly confirmed in my belief in in Jesus. Okay, and so this is this is about forty odd years ago. Forty, you were in your yes. early twenties. Yes, I was. It was nineteen seventy three. I was a young okay. guy, uh, and um, so I told my parents. They just thought I was nuts. They just you know, okay, okay. Uh, and um, uh, so um, uh, I um, met some um, street uh, uh, witnessing Christians in Philadelphia, where I was stationed at the time. Uh, and um, they uh, formally led me to the Lord. Okay. And, uh, and I spent a little time with, with their group. And uh, they were, I think it was more of a youth oriented group. And, and I, um, I left and, and um, uh, decided to worship in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a little outreach, was actually a Presbyterian outreach to Jews um, uh, in Philadelphia, and okay. I worshiped there for a while. Did they have any, I know over the years there's been a, um, an amazing misunderstanding of what it is to be a Jewish follower of Yeshua. So I mean, if we're going back 50 years to 1973, what was it like back then? Well, it was fairly non-existent, with with the exception of some missionary outreaches. There was the um, uh, the Presbyterian outreach. Uh, then there was the um, uh, American Board of Missions to the Jews, which is now called Chosen People. Yeah. Um, and so that was just pretty much that was about it. Um, there may have been some smaller uh, missionary groups across the country, but in Philadelphia at the time, those were the two major groups. 
And then in uh, 1976 or 77, um, the, um, uh, a, a new messianic congregation uh, was established in Philadelphia and um, a, a, a new alliance was formed called the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America. And that was pretty much the, uh, the foundation of Messianic Jewish congregations across the US and much of the world. A few years later, the, um, the um, UMJC um, or United Messianic Jewish uh, uh, congregations, they came about. So you have these major uh, organizations and um, uh, initially it, it got a lot of more Jews than Gentiles, but as they got popular, uh, uh, the the predominating uh, members were were Gentiles. So isn't that a reflection uh, of what happened two thousand years ago with the church? Because I mean, when we read the Bible, we realize that the first eight to ten thousand believers were all Jewish, and then the Gentiles came along. And um, if I use and, and I won't use the term advisedly, I'll just say it out there: we just hijacked your religion. Yes and no. I, you know, it, it, it was never meant to be a, a Jews only um, idea with Messianic congregations. I think, though, that they they really weren't prepared for the um, the amount of Gentile believers that eventually came, and what uh, there there were several morphs that that were created uh, uh, aside from the, these Messianic. Uh, congregations. Did the morphs come from the Jewish side or from the Gentile side? Mostly the Gentile side. Yeah. And because I mean, this is when we look at the word messianic, messianic to me always meant a Jewish believer, a Jewish follower of Yeshua. That's what it always meant. And the term nowadays means nine, 10, 11 different yes, things. Yes, yes. So, so today, in fact, I wrote down all the, uh, this is what I perceive to be the breakdown of, yep. of believers. You have uh, grace-oriented Messianic Jewish believers, and they can be grouped in with Hebrew Christian uh, believers. There, there are, are some Jewish believers that perceive preferred not to call themselves Messianic Jews. I call myself both. It doesn't matter to me. I, you can call me a Messianic Jew or a Hebrew Christian. It doesn't bother me a bit. Yeah. So I would say that's maybe 25% of the whole makeup. And, and then you have the Torah observant Messianic Jews that um, uh, either they hold to either obligatory or non-obligatory uh, Torah observance. Yeah. Uh, and I would say maybe 15% of, of the Jewish makeup is that. And then you have the Torah observant messianic gentiles who are mixed in with the torah observant messianic jews <laughs> who, are, who are mixed up yes yes I, I, well I, I we've got time we can go into it uh i'm guessing that's 30 percent and then you have uh, a group that's that is highly divergent uh that's called the hebrew roots movement which uh, denies the grace of the gospel uh and they're maybe 30%. So you have a big chunk, maybe 60% or more, are all Gentile of this whole messianic movement today. Didn't start off like that, yeah. but it is, that's the way it is today. 
I want to quote from your website, um, actually, and I'm not sure, I've got to be honest, I'm not sure whether this is from an article you wrote or from one of the articles that you've posted on your website. Okay. If the gospel's freedom is suppressed for the sake of upholding Torah, then those that put Torah above the gospel must abandon the contradictory elements of their theology and submit their Torah observance to new covenant principles. This doesn't mandate the banning of Torah observance. However, it does restrict Torah observance to that of non-obligatory compliance in Messianic Jewish worship and daily practice. I think one of the things that we struggle, you wrote that good, because you'll be able to talk knowledgeably about it. I think one of the things we struggle with, and particularly I find this when I'm talking to people and trying to explain it to people, is, uh, and if I use the Sabbath as an example, my wife and I enjoy taking a Sabbath, and we enjoy taking it from Friday evening through to Saturday evening. We don't do it because the Torah mandates that we have to. We do it because we want to understand what God meant by take a Sabbath or, or, or enjoy my Sabbath. Well, I, uh, what you're saying is, is correct. From, from a, a Jewish perspective, uh, many Jews are, uh, who hold a non-obligatory say, well, this is our tradition. And uh, uh, we know we're free, but we're going to um, uh, 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 joyously uh, uh, worship uh, the Sabbath and festivals uh, and I think that's I think that's good, and that's the way the messianic movement should be. Yeah. But as as soon as one says you must, uh, then uh, it, it puts people in a bind because what it does it, it contradicts what the gospel says, and it it also puts a real uh, stranglehold on our freedom. So you know, so there's there's this. Uh, uh, a problem, a, a, a dilemma yeah. that he yeah. ever has in his mind and heart, whether to, to perceive things as obligatory or or free. So uh, uh, the, the Pauline Gospels clearly uh, uh, outlines the, the way Jewish believers should perceive the gospel, but he's also very permissive in those who, who either are, are, are cannot or, or won't. Um, and and um, and I, po- I apologize. My dog is, is crying. <laughs> she, oh dear. One second. Oh, that's all right. Do you have a? Yeah, I was going to close the door, but he cried uh. more. <laughs> <laughs> now, so 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 I, I think Paul is fairly permissive, and yet at the same time, he doesn't want those who see um, uh, the gospel that that should be Torah observant. He. <clears throat> Can we cut for a second? Yeah, he's he's fine. He's fine. Oh, he's well, fine. Do, do, okay. do, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. So yeah, I mean, I, when, I when think... you talk about that, there's there's this whole um, in amongst those 900 different elements of what we call messianic belief nowadays. There's the yeah. the the ones that say that uh, Rav Paul Shaul was Torah observant, and so yes. we need to be Torah observant and. You go, there's a little element of that because we know that he observed the festivals. We know that he yes. he took that vow, shaved his head, uh, all these things where he was actually Torah observant. Yeah. So how, uh, how do we balance that? Well, there, I remember taking a logic course 
about um, apparent contradictions. Uh, and you have what would be classically called an apparent contradiction. Mm. Is Paul Torah observant? Is Paul free? Well, many verses indicate that he's free. Uh, and there's other verses that indicate that, that he did observe Torah. Uh, but, but what you have to, to look at is how does one resolve the apparent uh, contradiction? And, and that is because, and, and Paul explains it that, that he is free. He, he does so to be a, a witness to, to the Jew. Yes. Uh, yes. He's also free uh, not to, to, be, to, to be a witness to Gentiles. Yeah, however, he got, he got all upset with Peter when Peter um, w was free to eat with Gentiles, but then when the other Jews, he said, oh, no, I better not do that because it might offend them. Yeah, so, so now, now Peter, uh, uh, Peter, um, and, and this was, there, there were the, the circumcision group that yeah. was, was with Peter, and so Peter was, was really trying to, to please them uh, more than the truth, I believe, and and that's why Paul rebuked him. But getting getting back to the to the issue of of Torah observance uh, and and of the Torah observant Rav Shaul. Yeah. Now, um, if you look back, because I, I since I've been in this a while, I could see trends. Before 1990, you really didn't see any Rav Shaul Torah observant discussed. In, in messianic circles. Okay. And, and so there were there were basically two two viewpoints of the Pauline gospels uh, or the epistles. And one was was that uh, he was inspired by God. And the other one was he is a heretic. Uh, so those were the two classic camps that opposed one another. So the um, the anti-Pauline were classically called uh, Ebionites. And that was a sect uh, of, of, of Jewish believers in, in Yeshua or Jesus. So when so you're that, talking the two camps, you're talking within Messianic Judaism or you, you're yes, talking within... Or, or even, even before the whole Messianic Jewish thing arose, yeah. there were only two camps of, of, of uh, dispute. Uh, one camp said that Paul was a heretic and they were called Neo-Ebionites. And the other one was the those who perceived... That Paul was inspired by God, and and that the gracious freedoms were um, were uh, uh, were correct. Yeah. So you so uh, then came along in the nineties uh, a new trend that perceived that Paul was Torah observant, and so this perception of Paul that then became Rav Shaul, which was was perceived and taken up by the Hebrew roots and Hebrew Gentile movement. But historically and doctrinally, that's incorrect. So you've got a fictitious, historically and doctrinally fictitious character. So he wasn't Torah observant? Well, he, he may have been, but he wasn't obligatory. Uh -huh. so, so he had freedom. So, so if, if you look at, at the, the, the question always comes, did Paul, um, did he perceive the, the Torah as obligatory or not? And obviously his statements lead one to the conclusion that no, he didn't. Yeah. Uh, but he had, he had the freedom to, to be Torah observant nevertheless.
I think there's so much un- misunderstanding, Matthew. Um, I, I was I was actually listening to Bible radio driving home through the Waikato at one point, and it, mm-hmm. it came to the point in, I think, in uh, Deuteronomy, where it talks about the tithe. And it says, if you live so far away from Jerusalem that it's impractical for you to take your tithe to the temple, uh, then sell it where you are, take the money, go to Jerusalem, buy food, uh, meats, drink, and strong drink, and celebrate before the Lord. And it totally changed my understanding of that tithe, because I'm thinking, no, 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 my tithe is my obligation to, you know, it's not put the money aside for a family holiday. Um, And the, the other thing that I use a, a, an awful lot when I'm talking about observing the law as opposed to um, having to, for you in America, your first law of driving is drive on the right-hand side of the road. Yes. Right? For us in New Zealand, it's on the left-hand side of the road. And I had all sorts of trouble when I first went to Israel uh, and had to drive on the right-hand side of the road. But after a while, you don't drive on the right side of the road because it's the law you drive on the right side of the road because you understand how safe you are and you understand the correctness of that law so it's not it's it's like to me it's it's like a cross between obligatory and voluntarily uh, when I go and visit my my daughter and son-in-law and the and the grandchildren, there's there's one of the corners which is a it's a very tight little loop corner off the main road, and so I always cut the corner. <laughs> I don't feel guilty about it at all. But the rest of the time, I know I'll be safe if I stay on my side of the road. Well, um, that's good as long as as the the laws. Uh, state that you should stay on the right side of the road, otherwise you get a ticket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I don't do it. This is the thing, again, when we go back to Torah, I don't do it because I'm afraid of getting a ticket, right? I don't, I don't, I don't stay on the left-hand side of the road because I'm afraid that if I go on the right-hand side of the road, I'll get a ticket. I know that if I break that law, I'm in danger. Yes. So that, that's where, where Paul discusses um, in um, in Romans and I believe Corinthians, um, uh, what's what's always uh, expedient isn't always uh, the best. Yeah, uh, we're free, but but we're we're you know it's we're not free. Well, we are free, but but sometimes it's not a good thing us. to do it. Yeah, I yeah, mean that's yeah. and that's the balance, isn't it? That's the balance. And and when, when Jesus said to the Pharisees when they complained about the disciples walking through the field and, and rubbing the corn together, and he said, "Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man." You know, get your understanding of my laws, etc., correct in your head. Yes, that that's uh, apparently the Pharisees had a problem with that because they they saw him as as uh, making himself equal to God when he said that. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I think that was probably one of their blind spots too, that they couldn't perceive he was. That he was, that he was equal to God. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the two house theory the, or, or the two house people. What, what is that? Well, you have... Um, and this goes. This this kind of goes back to uh, to the 30s, um, where you have um, uh, Herbert Herbert Armstrong uh, and the uh, uh, 
uh, Anglo-Israeli um, heresy. Uh, and um, it, it kind of, it, over the years, uh, a new theory developed where you have the two houses. You have, I, I believe, uh, uh, if I'm correct, Israel and Ephraim. Right, um, yeah. Uh, I, I believe in this case, what, what you have is, it, it, it's kind of the, the basis for, um, for uh, I could be wrong, it's, it's a basis for many Gentiles to adopt the law. Uh, yeah. If we're talking about the same subject, correct me if I'm not. Then what what do you what do you refer? Uh, to? Yeah, I think that's it's it seems to me because as a gentile, and I went through this myself. So I grew up in a Christian family, and uh, and it's it's taken a journey for me to understand. And it's kind of hard to use the words because you use the words the Jewish roots, and you, you people perceive the wrong thing. But it's taken a while for me to understand how I, as a gentile fit in with Israel in God's plan of things. Um, and I went through this period, and I can't remember how old I was, I think probably in my in my 30s, but of thinking, gosh, I wish I was a Jew. It would be so much better if I was a Jew. My, my faith would be so much better. Everything would be so much better. Um, not understanding the whole point of God making a, a whole new man out of the two of us. And so to me, I think this whole, um, the, the Ephraimite heresy, and, and it, goes, it goes to British Israelism too, doesn't it? You know, the, the yeah, lost tribes of Israel and all that is, is they're just trying to say, hey, I'm Jewish too. Yeah, and, and the Lord said, he said, there's no one righteous, uh, neither Jew nor Gentile. Uh, 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 in Isaiah, all we like sheep have yeah. gone astray. Uh, uh, the, the point is, and, and this is in Ephesians, I believe, chapter two, where, where uh, Paul indicates that, uh, that the Lord's atonement uh, was, uh, was brought to bring out uh, a one, a one new man uh, uh, by abolishing the law in his flesh. Yeah. So, what, what you have is, is you can't have one new man that's all Torah observant. That contradicts the, the whole idea of what one new man really of, is. It contradicts the idea of new because what that is, is that's the old man that you've become. Yes. Yeah. So, so um, then you have, you have an entire movement that is trying to force their theology into scripture. But how is that done? I, I wanted to bring this up because the Hebrew Roots Movement has redefined many of the terms. So I wrote a, an article called Word Flipping or, or Word Redefining. Yep. Uh, so you have, if you, if you can't beat them, then you redefine them. Uh, basically, uh, 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 grace then becomes equal to law. Um, so the, all these words or terms that are, are are defined in a person's mind. Yeah. So yeah. think of it like this. I, I say um, I say grace, and you think of Torah. Uh, 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 normally, if you said grace to me, I think of freedom. Uh, freedom also equals Torah. So so it's 
it's a reconditioning of the mind. I, yeah. I won't use the term brainwashing because that's insulting, but it definitely is a reconditioning of a person's mind. If I so say the term <laughs> often enough and over and over and over, you will think of it as I want you to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a whole group that you can't even talk to anymore. So the words that you're using, they've all redefined into their own terminology. Yeah, I found this is actually quite interesting. I was talking to a Jehovah's Witness uh, a while ago, and I said, uh, who was she? And we actually met when I was working part-time in a computer shop, and I get on quite well with Ernie. Um, and he realizes when, when I ask him questions, I'm simply asking, what is the Jehovah's Witness understanding on this? I'm not I'm act, not actively at the time trying to evangelize him. Of course, I am. Yeah. But, but I said, who is Jesus and why did he die? from a Jehovah's Witness point of view. And he says, well, Jesus is the son of God and he died as the propitiation for our sins, a substitutionary death on the cross. And I'm going, oh, that's what I believe. Yes. But when he says that, what he means is very different to what I say. When, when I say he's the son of God, he is God. Uh, you know, um, And so, so this is what you're saying. This, this, um, this movement has stolen the terms and rearranged them that's correct so there's there's a really good website uh that did three pages of of word defining and it's called joyfully growing in grace you can look it up on on google whatever joyfully uh, growing in grace i i linked that because because they were and they did this in 2008 so um I'm, i felt like i was reinventing the wheel by by um uh uh, doing this article um, but it was good because you know, that was 12 years ago 13 and and people have forgotten that mm. that they really have redefined uh, all the terms to suit their theology so um, and, and this is nothing new and in fact um, uh, there are movements today that that redefine words um, uh, you can find that in political correctness uh, as well as, as other movements. So it's nothing, nothing unusual. In fact, it even goes back to antiquity um, that um, uh, a, a, a Greek um, uh, scholar had noted that uh, the Greek wars in, um, in the 400 BC, um, their, their, their opposition had redefined words. Oh, right. So, so you, you, it's nothing new. Uh, so we should be aware of these things when we're talking to someone that that may have a whole different gospel. How do you react when you come across somebody who is um, looking? So, so I'm talking at the moment to maybe somebody's watching this and they are a Gentile Christian, a Gentile believer, follower of Jesus, who is trying to get their head around all of this. What do you say to them? Well, I say, well, first of all, I'll, I'll tell them I'm not a pastor, uh, that uh, um, uh, I developed this website, uh, and, and I have great links to ministries that if you need to get a good grip on the gospel, um, speak to these people. Uh, I will try my best, but a lot of times when you're dealing with, with a, a conversational thread on the internet, it's not like face-to-face. Uh, people don't necessarily divulge everything that's on their minds. So, uh, and, and that's why I think it's important to, um, uh, that's why this, this whole website ministry, it's not an evangelical ministry. 
I think I, I spoke to a, another associate of yours mentioning that that the, the, the Messianic Literary Corner is not an evangelical uh, outreach, but really it's more of an informative outreach. Yeah. Uh, within, and it does well doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Uh, so uh, so the, the point is, is that um, uh, if they spoke to a, um, uh, a grace-oriented pastor, they would probably get a lot better understanding of, of what it means. Okay. Or, imagine, imagine uh, that, uh, that we've connected through the, the, the um, website and discover that I'm in Philadelphia as well and say, hey, Matthew, you know, why don't we pop down to Starbucks Wednesday afternoon? I'd do it. And, and so this is just yeah. as long. Well, it's like you, you don't know who you're meeting, but yeah, you know, yeah. Got, so, so I'm, I'm, go, I'm going, Matthew, Matthew, and I were brought up in the Presbyterian Church all my life, and I love Jesus, but I'm, I'm trying to get my head around this whole messianic Jewish stuff. Um, again, I would probably refer them to a messianic pastor. Um, I would, um, I, I would not. Uh, uh, ignore the request to discuss. I'd probably meet the person, yep. but I, I would I would definitely give that person my limitations and say I didn't get I didn't get a, a master's of divinity. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I got a master's and uh, a degree in biology. <laughs> I got a degree in biology. Yeah, uh, and, and although I'm I'm a fairly good Bible student, and and I have a good website. Uh, but uh, what I would like to do is give you. Uh, references to the right information, both yep. both literary on the website as well as uh, interpersonal. Yeah, and the poetry on the website helps too, because I mean I write poems as well. I don't write messianic poetry as as, as yours is is termed, but um, it's it helps us to understand uh, where you are. And um, there's one you've got again. It's an older one um, through a dimly lit corridor. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes that's the way it's like i know in the middle of the night if i don't turn my if i get up to go to the to the bathroom in the middle of the night if i don't turn my bedside <laughs> light on i have trouble getting back again afterwards you know yeah. um but that's that's a that, that's a similar thing have you got that one there uh, yes i do through a dimly lit corridor and just just that's one of my favorites yeah You, you might notice that I didn't write anything after 2000. That's because I became a salesman and they brainwashed me. <laughs> they redefined the words. <laughs> <laughs> but then now I'm retired. I can, I can revert back to my real self. There we go. <laughs> okay. Through a dimly lit corridor, I peer through space and time, not too far from here and now, as time and space can be defined. I see the earth at peace and all the works of evil ceased. Swords are beaten back to plowshares. God's holy government increased. Jerusalem redeemed eternal, both Jew and Gentile reconciled. Young and old alike rejoice, free at last from sins defiled. Messiah Jesus on his throne to judge the nations just and true. Is this your hope as it is mine? If it is not, God welcomes you. Yeah, that's, now, there, were, we there were individuals so, who said, well, 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 you mean, does God welcome you not to, to, to disagree? <laughs> and and I, meant it to, I, I meant it to mean that, uh, that God welcomes you to, 
explore the possibilities. Yeah, come let us reason together, as he says to in Isaiah. But I mean, that's what we look forward to, isn't it? It's it's the 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 messianic kingdom, and then after after the the millennial kingdom through on into eternity um, with the Lord joined with Him. And so I find that I mean, it's another area, the whole eschatological end times area, where so many people get it wrong. And to me, because they don't know the Bible, they don't know what the scriptures actually say. Uh, and therefore, their understanding, whether it's whether it's the end times or whether it's the the one new man, as Paul puts it in in Ephesians, it's our lack of understanding of the scriptures that we start making the mistakes. Yes, and then there's a lot of camps. I, I some of my my best um, uh, Hebrew Christian friends uh, have a different slant on on end times and the rapture than I do. Uh, but they're still friends and and they're still brethren. Yeah. And I, in fact, I use a lot of their material. So I'm I'm not. Um, I, I believe that as believers, we can um, in, in certain areas we can agree to disagree, um, and, and because otherwise we'll be beating our, each other on the heads. Yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, and, you, and you've got that line in there which we kind of referred to before with both Jew and Gentile reconciled that that whole British Israel Ephraimite movement or the, the two house movement where the Gentiles are going, well, we're Israel as well. You go, okay, well, as a Gentile, you're condemned because you're a sinner. So you're going to hell unless you repent and, and submit to Jesus. Oh, well, I'm a Jew. Well, okay. As a Jew, you're a sinner and condemned to hell unless you repent. And turn to yeah. I don't care whether you can be Gentile, all- Jewish, African, Asian, you know, Australians, even, you know, you're condemned under the law, whether we're Jew or Gentile. And, and 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 Paul makes a, a fairly good case of that in Romans. Yeah, that there's no one that's justified by by the law. Yeah, um, he does similar to what Nahum does because it, it just goes through the, the coming back to close to home, whereas Nahum t- looks at the surrounding nations to Israel and then he goes, "Well, you guys are sinners too." Uh, it's uh, it's it's fascinating the. Um, um, how reconciliation works. I, I, I believe that, that um, and I've, by the way, I've, I've worshipped at, at various churches as well as Messianic congregations. And the, the, the most important thing that I've picked up is, is that reconciliation uh, starts with getting to know a person. You know, it, once you, get, once you be, get to know the person, then the amount the, the the job of, of reconciling it gets that much easier yes so I think that that's what the Lord wants us to do uh, even in, in, like take for instance and and this is really I think important as a message that that Christians don't perceive messianic Jews as as being out on a limb uh, uh, doctrinally and even if they are they're still brethren yeah um, so I think that that the Lord has much more mercy on uh, on brethren who are uh, doctrinally incorrect in, in many ways uh, than we do. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I could be wrong in certain respects. No, I know I'm what you mean. I, I'm, there's, if I use an example, um, 
the 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 whole Calvinist Arminianist argument between the, the 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 if we call it the simplest way the once saved always saved versus you can lose your salvation. Mm-hmm. I have some very good Christian friends uh, who are completely opposite to what I believe. Right? Yeah. We just don't go there. Yeah, we yeah. we do not allow that to interfere with the relationship that we have, and I think that the the reconciliation, what we remember, and again using Paul or Rabbi Shaul, is that he says that God was in Christ on the cross reconciling us to Him. It reconc- you broke the relationship with me because of your sin. You couldn't fix it, so I have fixed it through Jesus on the cross, so that we can have the relationship again. That's correct. So, but it's only through his atoning blood that we can have that relationship. Yeah. Uh, uh, it d- doesn't I, matter whether you're Jew or Gentile or, or whatever. It's 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 yeah. all through the atoning blood of Jesus. We, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all broke the relationship. We all need to be reconciled. And yet at the same time, too, um, uh, where there's somebody that's not even preaching the gospel, saying that everybody needs to obey the law. You have to oppose it, but you have to do it in a loving way. Yeah. Um, and, and they may be they may be Christians that that got into this whole thing. So we have to have a certain amount of sensitivity, and yet we can't compromise the, the gospel um, uh, when it comes down to to its basics. Yeah, it's 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 something that um, I think because for, for me, as I think it's maybe my personality type, as I like to be reconciled with people, I don't like conflict, and so often it's it's easier for me to allow somebody to kind of like say this is what I believe than to confront them with it and say that's actually not what the Bible says. But that also is getting very uh, is getting harder and harder to do within not just within uh call it the messianic side of things but even in evangelical christianity where uh the jewish side or, or whatever is completely ignored it's getting harder and harder to discuss things because again the terminology is used the the not brainwashing but the you know mm-hmm. plus we're, we're living in a time that seems to be more intolerant than, than ever before in society yeah. So, so people are intolerant of each other as much as they used to be. Uh, of course, the good old days weren't always the good old days. People were intolerant then too. But at the same time too, uh, we uh, were always admonished to um, uh, to have a uh, a loving attitude. Yeah. Yeah. I think for for me, I go. I know what I believe. I know who I believe. Uh, I know my Bible reasonably well. I'm comfortable in my faith. So I am happy, happy not being the right word, but I, I, I will, will allow you to believe what you want to believe. If you believe in the, uh, the three-headed purple space monster, then that's fine. I was working in kiwifruit um, last year, around about this time last year, just packing kiwifruit. And uh, I talked to a young English guy and I said, what do you believe? And uh, he said he believed in 
uh, mother God who was way out there in space somewhere and that we come to earth because we decided we needed to learn something and earth was the right planet for us to learn it on. And when we've learned the lesson, we then return back into the great cosmic oneness that is mother God. And I said, that's interesting. You know, uh, as you were saying that, you reminded me of the, uh, there's an old song that Billy Joel sang and uh, that he, and he quoted, you should never argue with a crazy mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so you I, have to I said to this young guy to, to, to Steve, I, I said, uh, sorry, Simon was his name. I said, I said, I am happy for you to believe that. Right? I, I think you're totally wrong because this is what I believe. And I told him what I believe, but I, I said, I'm not going to push what I believe down your throat. Um, what yes. I need to do is I need to show you the truth of what I believe through my actions. Um, and I, I think there are one of the reasons to me, one of the reasons why we argue so vehemently with people is because we actually don't know our faith we don't know our God as well as we should. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I have an interesting uh, question for you. Have you ever been involved in street evangelism? Uh, only once or twice. Uh, when I was younger, I, I was heavily involved in it. And uh, the reason why I'm saying this is because on the most part, people aren't going to agree with you. Um, so it, it's a matter of, of, uh, you throw out a few crumbs of interest uh, to get them into an interesting conversation. On the most part, um, uh, when you're when you're witnessing, whether it be street witnessing or just talking to a friend, it's it's a matter of of uh, getting into a particular train of thought uh, that you're you're trying to to make a point. I used to be I used to debate. In high school and college, mm -hmm. and so that used to be one of my um, uh, strong points. But in debating, you can't win debate by by bashing somebody on the head uh, verbally. You, you have to draw them out into making logical conclusions. Yeah. So so that's the whole the whole gist of being a good witness. It's kind of like being a salesperson too. You you get them to draw you get them to draw out uh, a logical conclusion, and upon that conclusion, you can either uh, uh, go further, or if you don't come to that conclusion, then you you leave them with a calling card. <laughs> yeah, you, you 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 well, it's you you let them come to their own conclusion. You can't give them their conclusion. That's true. Yeah. Oh, you, 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 even if you do know what, the, what's um, uh, doctrinal. Yep. What the scriptures say, you, you <clears throat> as you said, you can't make them believe that. Yeah, you, I mean, you're a salesman, you, or you were a salesman. Yes. I, I was in retail sales for many, many years. You can't, yeah. you do not want to sell anything to anybody. You want them to buy it from you. Yes, you know, and there has to be a, there has to be a need. Yeah, you know, if you see somebody that that they perceive themselves as as they don't need anything, then they may not want to buy it. Yeah, uh, a lot of people in this life. Have everything fulfilled that they need, so they they might not buy it. 
which is where the modern gospel falls down, you know, take on Jesus and you'll make your life better. Actually, Kirk Cameron does this wonderful little skit with that um, as part of uh, Ray Comfort's ministry with Living Waters. And he's he's sitting beside his swimming pool on the phone when somebody rings him up and, and you know, a friend rings him up and tells him he needs Jesus to make his life better. And he goes, no, mate, my life's <laughs> perfect at the moment. You know, we give them the wrong gospel. And again, this, this goes back to what we were saying before. It's, it's a misunderstanding of the gospel. It's a misunderstanding of the position of grace and Torah. It's a misunderstanding of the scriptures. It's a lack of knowledge of the scriptures. And so we mess everything up. Well, now I, I, I'm, I'm 71 years old now. Now, I don't feel like I'm 71. But I believe that um, uh, uh, if I keep a sharp mind uh, for another 20 years, I'm going to do exactly what I'm doing now, uh, and and that's um, uh, uh, spreading out information. Yep. Being informative, um, also working with other people. I'm really I'm really happy that that um, I, I got to talk to you. I think that that um, there's a lot of little ministries like mine. I, I don't perceive to be any, my ministry, my website as being anything great. Um, but there's a lot like me. There are a lot of people that, that you know, maybe they, they were, they're, uh, they're retired. Maybe they're, they're pastors and they have a little ministry on the side. So anyway, it's really important to use the internet as a, uh, a conduit for, for information. Very much so. Uh, and these groups that are together, uh, as as long as they don't become bashing sessions, um, uh, can be productive too. Uh, I mean, so we were talking about having coffee before. You know, um, Starbucks are all over the world, but there's also a little coffee shop run by mum and dad around the corner, and I prefer that little coffee shop. Other people might prefer Starbucks or Robert Harris, or, or which is here in New Zealand, or, or someone else. There's room for the big websites. There's room for the little websites because yeah. we don't know who God is going to send our way. That's true. Let's go back to poetry. Um, David, the great poet, the great psalmist of the Bible. And just what, what are your, your thoughts on this? Psalm 119 is it's a love song to the Torah. He uses five different words to describe you know, instruction, law, teaching, whatever. But you've got 176 verses that all say, gosh, I love it when it's tax time. I just, whoa. And when a red light happens and I'm driving, woohoo, go the law. You know, it's, it, what do you think about Psalm 119 as a. I, I, I do believe that, that there is um, uh, David's spirit and the, the spirit of those who who love the law. Um, um, uh, it was was perfect for that time. In other words, that was God's uh, um, had uh, enlightened man through the law there is also grace through the law too. Remember, it's not all the law; it, it, it it's God forgiving men, uh, in spite of 
their sins. All the way through so, the Old Testament. All the, all the way through. So the transition, though, from, from the Davidic perception of the law to, to the, the freedom of the gospel, it is uh, uh, it's understandable. I think that that you have to perceive that that uh, within, and I'll use the word dispensation. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm not dispensational, but but at the same time, within God's dispensation. That was uh, David's psalm was a perfect reflection. Um, and uh, today, uh, in the dispensation of of grace, uh, we can have equivalent po poetry, which and we do, of course. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, and I noticed, and, and and I have to, you know, apologize because I know you're struggling for words to to get the right words to say it because the <laughs> words that we use are so very very important. Um, I I personally think David knew something about God's law that we got to remember. This is the guy that wrote Psalm 23, "The Lord is my shepherd." You know yeah. that that's uh, so many intimate psalms that he wrote. Um, and yet he wrote this thing about the law. So you go, what was it David knew about the law that we have lost? And I remember teaching it one time in uh, a Bible study. And I said, well, let's, so what we did was a men's Bible study. We looked at Psalm 119 and then we go, okay, let's look at the law. Let's look at Leviticus. And when we looked at it at that time, it, it was like, you look at it and you go, here's God saying, I really want a relationship with you, but I am holy, 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 and you are filthy rags. So there's no way that relationship is going to happen. And, and let me give you this book of Leviticus. Let me give you Torah to show you what you would have to do to even come close to being holy enough to have this relationship with me. And we looked at that, and we got to the end of Leviticus, and we thought, there's no way we can do that. And God goes, now that you've understood that, let me put my son on the cross. Now that you've understood that there is absolutely no way you could keep this perfect law, let me absolve you of all your sins myself. Let me pay the price so that we can have the relationship that I've always wanted to have with you. And so when you looked into the, for me, when I looked into the law of God, that's when I found grace. But if you, if you negate the law, if you negate Torah completely, grace becomes meaningless. It is, and I know I know Jews, including my father, who was raised as an Orthodox Jew, but after World War II, uh, became somewhat non-observant, and, and uh, it's not just the the the, uh, the the war that did it, but also I, I don't believe that he perceived that he could carry that burden uh, personally of, of, uh, of Torah. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's other Jews that might even say, well, it's, it's a burden that we don't want anymore. That's why there's, that's why there's more liberal uh, uh, 
denominations of Judaism um, because it, it's too much. Well, the, the but, other thing with that, and, and again, on your website, um, you mentioned uh, when, in one of the articles that we cannot be Torah observant anymore. Uh, and one of the writers, he says, how many people put a little um, uh, fence around the roof of their house so that their neighbors don't fall off? You know, you can't sacrifice animals at the temple anymore. So you cannot well, possibly be Torah observant. That's true. Uh, I, I think that that today's perception of Torah observance is more of a, um, especially among among the the, the Gentile yeah. groups, it's more of a pick and choose, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but to look at it, I mean, sorry, going back with, with your father, if your father knows Torah, he goes, these are the is it 683 laws or, you know, in Torah. It's impossible to keep some of them anymore. We cannot do it. Therefore, um, what is the truth of any of Torah or any of Tanakh or any, you know, you go from, from yeah. having grown up with this uh, this orthodox understanding of judaism and then you go well actually we're not even being orthodox what's the point yeah you know my my father had uh tefillin which is a, a little a box covered in leather and with leather thongs yeah it's kind of like a jewish version of of the rosary in certain respects and and so when when he would pray he would lay tefillin um and i remember seeing his tefillin um, uh, after he passed away in the nineties, I, I saw that in, in his, uh, in his case. Um, but it, it's what it is, is, um, uh, uh, much of it was wrote, um, uh, prayers mm -hmm. uh, that often lose their understanding. Um, uh, I think that and with the exception of scholars, Jewish scholars may know more. Uh, but I, I think that that's something that I think my, that my father just he put away as part of his his youth, but nothing that he could really hold on to as an adult. Couldn't relate to it because he would have served in World War Two, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was Normandy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you so just anyway, you come back from that and you go, none of this makes sense anymore. Yeah, and also I think that um, his um, uh, uh, he was he was a pretty rough guy, and <laughs> yeah. So when, when he was when he was single, he told me about his exploits. Right. So uh, it's like, okay, well, well, he strayed far from <laughs> what, what he was when he was a young boy. Yeah. So what we, what we need to understand is that Jew or Gentile, we are one new man in Christ. I, I, um, I, I use the whole COVID thing at the moment in uh, New Zealand. I don't know if you know, but we're reasonably COVID free. Uh, and we've had a few lockdowns and shutdowns uh, just to make sure of that. But um, if you're a New Zealander and you're living overseas, you're, you're welcome to come home. All right. If you're not a New Zealander, you're not welcome to come to New Zealand. You can stay away. <laughs> But, yes. but so you have this, um, and if we look at the Jew versus the Gentile, you have this New Zealander versus the not New Zealander. But in Christ, the borders are open 
everybody is welcome to come. And there's no longer New Zealanders and Australians and Americans and Germans. There's, uh, call them Aotearoans or, or Kiwis. You're all Kiwis. Well, we're all one new man in Christ. And I think if we get that understanding in us, we can maybe lose this need of Gentiles to try and be Jewish. I would say so. In fact, uh, I, um, I suggested that Messianic congregations who are Torah observant and are just pretty much um, predominantly Gentile. They, the Gentiles themselves need to think, you know, how many Jews are going to go into a Messianic congregation that's 99% Gentile? <laughs> that, you know, uh, especially uh, new Jewish believers, they're not yep. going to do it. They're just going to see it as something that's, that's um, too much of a stretch for them. So, the, the whole concept of a one new man congregation makes more sense in this time than it did maybe 20 years ago when, when the Messianic Jewish thing was, was rising. Now that we've come to full fruition of, of, of what we created, uh, the one new man concept makes more sense than it did before. Yeah. So, so the, the, the reason why I'm saying this is because it's not just a theory in mind, but it can also be a, um, uh, a congregational movement uh, where the, the, litur the liturgy is, is uh, dropped to, to a great extent. The, uh, um, uh, and um, so both, especially today, most Jews are secular and, and they probably really wouldn't be interested that much in the Torah observance, yeah. Uh, yeah. But if they went went to a congregation that was open uh, uh, to both Jew and Gentile in in a uh, 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 a one new man format, uh, it might be more conducive. So that's that's I've got I've I've got some writings on that. Um, uh, there's a few. I, I've got a friend in in Philadelphia, a pastor who is the pastor of a one new man congregation there, and he says it's very successful. Um, and you know they don't they don't have uh, Torah readings and they don't bring the Torah around and and there's there's no yarmulkes and yeah. and, uh, and talis uh, so it, that may make more sense in this age uh, in in uh, uh, the post two thousands than it did in the 1980s it might do too matthew it's been great uh matthew's website is messianicliterary.com there's a hyphen between messianic and yes. literary it's marshall uh, by the way uh, marshall oh, i call you matthew marshall <laughs> sorry my apologies marshall and no relation to justin bieber because it's spelt different uh, but marshall thank you so much for joining us and um all the best and and i'll certainly be sorting out uh, checking out a lot of the articles and your poetry too because i like you poetry. very much oh and yes one last thing there's over 70 poets on the website. Okay. So it's not just me. All right. Excellent. I might have to submit some of mine. Okay. God I'm bless open. you. Talk to you God again. Bless. Thank you.